Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. And welcome to another edition of the Turn Up For What podcast. We are back one week closer to football in talking your Houston Texans straight from the great British Isle. The pads are on, contracts have been adjusted, rumours of further moves reverberate around Kirby, but we will be talking the likely weakness of this team this week, defence, and joining me to talk to you all the way from H-Town, his second appearance on the podcast, former radio sports host in Houston, Cody Stutes. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic. Is it just the second time, man? We I, we got to do this more often, okay? If it's just the second time, it's been far too long uh, since the first time, and I'm ready to get after it, man. I mean, this is this is a really exciting time, and certainly there was a while where it looked like there might not be football, but the NFL has done a great job. The Texans primarily have done a fantastic job, as Peter King reported. You know, they started their training camp with 11 straight days of no positive tests. I think that streak has continued pretty well. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to talking about this team a ton and even looking even more forward to them uh, getting the field, getting on the field with the uh, the Chiefs here in a few weeks. Yeah, I think the last time we spoke actually was the Monday after the New England game, I believe, I think, from from memory. It was certainly a victory Monday. Anyway, I saw that in the notes the last time I'd, I'd, uh, I'd sent you over the over the show. But uh, yeah, that Peter King article was interesting, actually, I think, wasn't it? You saw the, the investment that the team had put in. And actually, I think you saw probably a sort of world into the leadership or, or the, the influence, certainly, uh, of Jack Easterby and all that kind of, all the kind of football operations side of it and how, you know, they've, they've not held back in any way in terms of investing any cost and, and trying to make the building, you know, the safest place they can, you know, they possibly can for, you know, all sort of personnel front and front and back office. Yeah, no doubt. With with the combination of the Peter King article in in uh, in the MMQB as well as, or excuse me, the uh, uh, in the NBC Sports article that he had, um, and what we see on Hard Knocks with the Chargers and the Rams, I think you see that the NFL is taking a, a huge step to make sure that they don't have an outbreak, a la baseball and things like that. And you know, one or two tests, I think every NFL team can survive it. Um, but an outbreak, it'd be a little bit tougher. But enough about the virus. Let's talk some football. That's right. I think, and I think the I think the legal do everything they can because I think they've probably got a golden window of um, you know free airspace, limited college football. I think it's all for them to to gain because because as time goes on, you know, and we're we're just saying before we start recording, you think the Watson contract is going to come around pretty soon, but with a a team that's you know could the the salary cap could hit that one hundred and seventy five million dollar floor next year, but actually you think with all the opportunity people have got to re-engage you know pe- people that might not have watched the game and predominantly watch college they've got an opportunity this season if, if the quality of the product isn't affected too badly by the shortened off season you, you think they've got a good chance to try and bring in you know more more viewers and certainly the viewers for the advertising space for the networks is only going to go up in value no doubt about that it's all eyes on the nfl most of the time and it will remain all eyes and maybe even some extra eyeballs on the nfl so the pads go on, uh, first padded practice in the bubble. Um, and obviously at this stage, you know, and this season is going to probably be the biggest factor health's ever played in a season. And a guy who tore his Achilles last season, missed the whole year after, flashing as a rookie, um, albeit being injured again. 
Um, and there was a reason why Duke Ejiofor dropped, you know, as far as he did when he came at Wake Forest. But he worked so hard to come back. Positive words, you know, spoken about him from the coaching staff. And then first padded practice back, he tears his ACL, which O'Brien mentioned that he had a unique skill set. He's not just an outside linebacker. And you could tell by the way he spoke, O'Brien doesn't often give away a lot, but he felt like that it was definitely a loss in terms of the outside backer depth. I think with Duke Edgefor, and I, I love Duke Edgefor. I love the selection, um, taking the chance. He fell because of a shoulder injury, and I think one of those things is it, it's okay to, to you know dip for a shoulder injury because typically that's something that's a one season, one off thing. It's it's I don't the recurring shoulder injuries are far less likely to keep a guy off the football field, but those recurring lower body injuries are going to be things that are going to keep him off. And you know now with the you know significant injury impact to all of his professional seasons. I think Duke Edgefors, you know, it got a long road back to being on someone's roster and being a useful part um, of a defense, because I think that's what he was going to be. He's got a very unique skill set. He's got a very unique body in the way he can use his extreme arm length. He's got longer arms than a lot of the, the guys that, that uh, get used in that position. And I was really excited to see what he could bring to the table. Certainly, uh, with Anthony Weaver's defense was going to be a you know not a not a really important chess piece, but a small chess piece that you could move around, and and to lose that and to not really have a replacement for that guy currently on the roster, I think that's going to be interesting to see um, what they do with that sort of rotation of that other linebacker opposite Whitney Merciless. Who could get in there? Does this open up uh, the path for? John Grenard, Jonathan Grenard, however you want to say it. I think O'Brien says John Grenard. Jonathan Grenard's his you know, f- official name, I suppose, uh, the, the, the third-round pick from Florida. Um, does that open up for a few more snaps for him? Can he be a, a, a chess piece in his first year? So, edge of four going down. I hate to see that. Uh, really nice guy. And, um, you know, just, hey, that's, that's life in the NFL. Guys get hurt. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with, with Grenard and the, the outside backer position in general – Grenard is a big guy, um, you know, for that position. I think he's 6'4", 260. And, you know, that's a reasonable, you know, he's listed in the, on the on the, on the the team uh, website as a defensive end rather than an outside linebacker. I know, you know, depending on which way Anthony Weaver chooses to go this year in terms of his scheme. Um, and they've never really been, for the last few years under Cornell, have been married to the 4-3 or the 3-4. It's kind of, you know, they very much run a 3-4 hybrid. But I just looking at, at the depth at that at the outside backer position, you you, you know you they kind of look potentially a bit a bit light. You know, you obviously you're hoping for a big jump from um, from Martin this year, um, from Jacob Martin if he can you know show some of those flashes, but more consistently and and hold up against the run. Um, but you know, I think definitely Jonathan Grenard or potentially a move um, that seems to keep swirling around. I.e. You know the the names of Jadavian Clowney not signing a team seems to continually float about this team. I can't see it myself, but it feels like there's maybe an opportunity to reevaluate that that uh, that position and potentially make a change. I think that the big thing you got to look for is is there going to be a veteran that gets cut from another team for a salary cap situation, or maybe they underperformed for that team, or that team had a young player that outplayed that veteran. I could see a veteran being added. Uh, who's currently on another roster. Look, 
I think we'd all be over the moon. I think the perception of the Texas defense would change completely if they added Jadavian Clowney. I just think if that was a possibility, if there was a chance that was going to happen, it would have happened already. But you brought up Jacob Martin, and Anthony Weaver talked today about Jacob Martin. He talked to the um, to the media today after practice, and he talked about him, and he said that he likes to use Jacob Martin to pose problems in identifying what he's going to do um, for the defense. He said that, you know, he can rush off the edge. He can rush in the middle. Um, they even can drop him back a little bit and it's going to be difficult for teams to constantly identify what Jacob Martin does when he's on the field. And with that, it presents something that becomes a tough thing to game plan for. If Martin is successful, Martin had a lot of success in spurts last year, it's going to be for him putting it together for a whole football season, a whole game, things like that. Um, the spurts, hey, when you get over late and you know the team adds you late to the equation, spurts are okay in that first year. The expectation now is consistency when he is on the field. And I, I like the potential that Jacob Martin brings to the table. Yeah, and you noticed that. I thought today in, in the press conference, Anthony Weaver, really good speaker. I, when he does speak to the media you, you almost see kind of like a head coach in waiting I, I find sometimes anyway I think he's 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 very articulate um but he actually of all the players he was asked about the most you know the most that he went into depth in terms of specifics of a player and you could tell his his tone change was talking about Jacob Martin so I think the, the coaching staff have obviously got high hopes for him um but I mean at this stage bar the bar the, the the injury to Duke, I think, reasonably touch wood. Uh, you know, the, the team is in a reasonably um, healthy shape. Cullen Gillespie has missed out um, a number of a number of uh, of the, the four padded practices we've had so far. Um, but bar that, I think Cali Waring came back today, which I think was a big thing. Kenny Stills and Dylan Cole came back. So, you know, where this team is right now in a season that's going to be plagued by various types of injuries, um, it feels like health-wise, it's still, albeit still early, is in a good spot. Yeah, no doubt about the the health situation. J.J. Watts sort of ramping up. I think Bill O'Brien has mentioned that a couple of times. So he hasn't done a ton of training camp. Watt doesn't need the training camp reps. Those guys that are going to be opposite Watt, maybe in place of J.J. Watt, um, should another injury occur, they do need the reps. So I'm not worried a ton about uh, Watt's sort of ramp-up process, as Bill O'Brien has called it. You mentioned Kyle Waring's back. It's news when he practices at this point to me. It's not news when he doesn't practice. The guy's missed so much time. He is essentially a rookie because he went on IR last year, and tight end is the toughest position to contribute early in your career in the National Football League. I truly do believe that because you – might be a physical specimen at the college level, but the the athletic freaks that you face, typically safeties and linebackers as a tight end, you just don't have that physical advantage that you do sometimes at the college game. And wearing, you know, it's he's sort of that tweener where he's so good against the third string guys, but the second and first string guys, he sort of struggles or he looks out of place at different times. Now that was my view last year. I, I haven't seen him this year. Of course, he just got back recently, but you know, a name to watch because there's certainly some competition for that third tight end spot. Um, Gillespie is interesting. Bill O'Brien has mentioned him a couple of times as, hey, a running back, running back, running back. And when you look at guys that potentially could go between the tackles, David Johnson seems to say, and, and, and um, you know, it, it seems to be the thought that he's going to be the between the tackle guy. Duke Johnson hasn't done that in his career, despite college success doing that. 
Buddy Hal hadn't carried the ball much. Karan Higdon hadn't carried the ball much in the National Football League. So maybe there's some rushing packages for Gillespie, but he's got to get healthy, got to get out there. It's still early to kind of figure that thing out, but overall the health has been pretty good and certainly knock on wood for that because you've seen some teams, the Cowboys had a guy go down, the Eagles had a guy go down. Um, you know, significant players, uh, you've had those guys go down for various teams. So the Texans, uh, you know, luckily knock on wood have been good so far. Yeah, I think so. And wearing is an interesting prospect because I think with the absence of draft picks, you know, and, and a guy who has a, had a lot of um, positivity spoken around his name in terms of his contribution and the shape that he's returned at the training camp in terms of Jordan Thomas, um, who, you know, he had a four game stretch as a rookie where he looked unplayable um, and then he kind of hit the wall. And, and, and then last year, you know, got the, the broken ribs and, and the, the, I think it was the, the, uh, the Lions game and didn't quite, you know, and just didn't quite make his way back into the uh, the team kind of probably was a questions about his conditioning. But, you know, you think really, you know, you don't want to be in a position where wearing a third round pick in Thomas and albeit a sixth round pick, but has flash tape. You don't want to really kind of be letting either of those guys go out, especially if you know, they're probably going to get picked up by somebody at, at very least on waivers if we do release them. But we do have a 16-man practice squad this year. But I think tight end is looking more interesting just with the emergence of Thomas and it looks like he's back and being physically where he needs to be um, and then do the, does the team keep three uh, tight ends or do they keep four? I think that's the big question that we probably won't know. Predominantly they've kept three um, in, the, in the last few years under O'Brien but it's it's definitely one to watch because I think ideally you want to keep both those guys on the roster if you can. I'm I'm sort of getting the vibe they're going to keep six wide receivers, so I I would think yeah. that three three tight ends is probably going to be um be what what, what they do because you got to remember um, these tight ends predominantly don't play special teams, so uh you know you you can get special teams reps out of wide receivers, you can get special teams reps out of running backs. Uh, it's hard to get it's harder to get special teams reps out of tight ends. Jordan Thomas, look, he was last year in training camp, first couple of days. Deshaun Watson found him, it seems like, every time they did a team period. And then he got banged up, and when he came back, they weren't healthy, They weren't happy with his conditioning. And if you want to say it bluntly, he was fat. He came back, he was fat and out of shape, and he didn't have time to get in shape. In the middle of the season, Bill O'Brien has, has praised his um, what shape he's in so far. And if Jordan Thomas is in shape, Jordan Thomas is going to be the third tight end on this team with Fells and Akins, and he's going to be that huge receiving threat that's going to come maybe in line and help out with the blocking fails is the more blocking ready guy that you keep on the end. And uh, you saw the relationship that Fells and Watson created last year with that little, you know, that RPO play where Fells kind of initially blocks and then, you know, leaks out and Watson dumps him the ball. Um, you know, that's still going to be a dangerous move. Aikens' ability to play sort of that uh, blocking back role or block out of the backfield is a positive for him. So I think it's an uphill battle for Kale Waring. Um, I, I think his uh, measurables, like you said, probably gets him picked up by another team if the Texans move on. But that's a guy that is a primo practice squad guy if another team doesn't pick him up, just to keep him around and, and, and still see if you can mine uh, mine the ability uh, that he does have and, and sort of polish the, the rawness that he possesses uh, if he doesn't get picked up. So, I, yeah, that's definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah, I think you're right with the, the six wide receivers because that seems probably one of the – the deepest spots on the roster right now. Um, when you think obviously you've got Fuller, Cobb, Stills, uh, you know, 
and it's quite a and oh yeah, of course, and Brandon Cooks on the outside. So there you've got those four guys. Isaiah Coulter, he's not been out there. I think he was a neck injury or something like that. They said he had, so he's he's our next strain. So he's not practiced much, um, you know. And O'Brien's very quick to say, look, the rookies are behind, and it's not their fault, but they are behind. Um, so you don't think, you know, you risk Isaiah Coulter because he was kind of quite a fashionable late round pick through the draft prospect process. So you've got to you've got to think that he's likely to get picked up. And I think the biggest thing, and again, who Brian O'Brien has talked about and. Uh, Tim Kelly talked about today that they're really impressed with Kiki QT, and I I, I would love to see him realise his potential because it's obviously there. I think he just lost his way in year two after getting that uh, injury, returning returning that punt in the Green Bay um, preseason opener last year. But I think O'Brien mentioned that today, which was interesting, and I thought the words he used was interesting around Kiki as well because it's often what O'Brien doesn't say is, is actually what he's, what he's, uh, what, what's the actual truth behind it. But he talked about it takes players sometimes a longer journey to become, become consistent. And also he talked about him returning punts. And, and for me, after watching DeAndre Carter fumble in the playoffs, he, f- he fumbled a punt in the, in, in the Atlanta game that, that brought that game far closer than it should ever have been when the offense was on fire. And he also almost, very, if it hadn't been for the, for the uh, the extra uh, officiating crew intervening and right at the, the start of the second half against Buffalo, um, making that mistake. So I, I've, based on that, I, I don't think DeAndre Carter gives you enough to warrant having given up on Kiki if, if he can show that he can return, return the ball consistently and have special teams value. So I, th- I think you laid it out really well there with the with the wide receiver group because Cobb Fuller cooks um, and Stills. That's four of the six spots, okay. And then you've got to think that the the um, the rookie uh, Coulter is going to be on there. There's five, and then you got to think that the punt returner slash kick returner um, slash typically that spot has been the backup inside guy as well. When you think about it too. Um, you know, because Cobb's going to be inside, so the backup inside guy is also going to be the kick returner, punt returner. It's Carter versus QT. Now, Carter, um, you know, w- w- with Carter, look, the issues that you brought up from last year, I I agree with you. Um, they also re-signed this guy in the offseason, though, you know, so uh, they brought him back on that one-year extension, and look, it's not for huge money, so if Kiki QT had a better camp than him, and beat him out. Okay. You can just get rid of Deandre Carter. You can move on. Maybe there's another team that would be interested in either Carter or QT, the, the, the sort of the, the loser of that matchup, so to speak. Um, look, no one wants Kiki QT to succeed in Houston more than I do. He went to Texas tech. I went to Texas tech. That's my guy. I've watched him just dice people up on Saturdays in the big 12. And I think the talent is there just the consistency and the way that he annihilated the Colts as a rookie, that just doesn't happen on accident. You know, like there's talent there. So that's definitely a guy that other teams in the league would look around and say, okay, well, his second year kind of got destroyed by injuries and, you know, maybe got in the doghouse, things like that. But those those games against the Colts will stick out as for, as a potential um, huge positive for Kiki QT in his in his new football life if the, if he can't make the Texans. Um also, I, I would say that, you know, if QT could slip through the cracks again, practice squad guy, just because of the, the the size of these practice squads, I believe he's still practice squad eligible because they they changed some of that. And speaking of wide receivers, a practice squatter last year, um, Chad Hansen. Hansen's been in the National Football League for a few years. Bill O'Brien has brought his name up more than a few times here so far through the early part of camp. Hansen was a standout guy at Cal. 
His last year at Cal, he had 92 catches for almost 1,300 yards. He had 11 touchdowns in um, in 2016 for the Golden Bears and just hasn't found his footing in the National Football League. Just you know, just has bounced around with Saints practice squad, Saints back of the roster. And this with the Texans last year um, on the practice squad as well. He's back again. And look, a veteran guy um, that could maybe hang around this team. You, you want to have depth in the organization in case COVID does pop up. Uh, I, I think Hanson's that guy that potentially could be, you know, sort of the depth guy, um, that practice squad guy, uh, maybe a little inside, maybe a little outside. But it, wide receiver's pretty interesting at the five and six spot um, because, look, it's not it's not crazy to move on from a fifth-round pick if Coulter can't get going. Um, you know, maybe you can try to stash him on the practice squad if somebody else doesn't get interested. But it's not crazy that that he could get his spot challenged as well. I think Coulter is probably a prime candidate for the uh, mysterious injury uh, season in denial. Oh, that, the, that, old, that, the old Kahale that, wearing. I think we did it with uh, Kaimi Fairburn as well. You know, there's I think a lot, a lot of teams will do that. Um, he's got a neck injury, you know, doesn't play much. Stash him. We'll re- revisit it next year if we don't retain Kenny Stills and he's a replacement there. I think it's possibly his role. I, I don't know, but I think that is because it's interesting because you think even probably Stephen Mitchell's in above above uh, Coulter in the pecking order right now. And there's not a lot of time for these guys. No preseason games, limited practice reps to go around. You think, yeah, I think he's possibly one one for that because when you come out of Rhode Island, you know, you've got a long way to go to to get ready with, you know, with a shortened preseason when all the rookies have lost eight weeks already. Um before they kind of got in the building. You think Chad Han- Hansen's an interesting one, though. You know, is he another Travis Labhart? You know, kind of looks great in camp. You know, there's been, you know, Lestar Gene and all these guys in the past, you know, camp stars, and then they don't quite uh, they don't quite necessarily piece it all together. But I think he's an interesting one. But, yeah, the, the wide receiver position looks set, but it's kind of, it seems to be one of the most kind of discussed ones um, on the roster. And I think a big one as well, I think, was really positive, and obviously it's been a... A pan trade, um, but you, but you, with uh, we've we've made a, a rule, Cody, that we that we don't discuss the the part of wide receiver now because it's it's easy to dwell. But as part of that trade, um, you know, David Johnson's come the other way. But I think all the the talk and the uh, you know Brian described him as one of the you know the, the one of the fittest guys on the team, um, and you know there's been some reports of him you know leaving uh, leaving BMAC for dead in a couple of drills and and uh, and and, such, and, and situational. Um, situational plays, you know, in in the last couple of, in the last week or so. So you know, there, there's a lot of positivity around David Johnson. I think, and I think, what is positive about that? If he's still got the running and uh, and he's elusive on the ground, he's always going to give you enough in the passing game to make him valuable. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been a real positive. I think from this to up till this point to here that people are impressed with what shape he's turned up in because um, he's got a lot. A lot of people approve wrong, but also it looks like he's still got a bit of juice in the, on the ground game. No doubt about that. And look, I'm not worried about David Johnson catching the football. I'm worried about David Johnson between the tackles. I'm worried about David Johnson running the football, being the primary ball carrier for this Texans football team. That's what I'm worried about. I know this guy can catch the ball out of the backfield. He did it at an elite level for the first six weeks of last year before um, the injury bug bit him again. I'm worried about Bill O'Brien using David Johnson, who has a unique 
primarily pass catching skill set. I'm worried about him using David Johnson like he used Lamar Miller, where he put Lamar Miller and ran Lamar Miller between the tackles, and that's not exactly what Lamar did. And it sort of wore on Lamar. And there were times where he was coming out of games. There were times where he'd miss a week or two in the middle of the season. And I just, I just hope that they are smarter with how often David Johnson, you know, takes a handoff, the ball gets put in his belly, and he runs into the teeth of the defense in the middle. I just hope they're very smart about that because I don't know that there's a lot of depth as far as the run it between the tackles on this team. So if Johnson gets hurt, I don't know who's running the ball between the tackles. I think Karan Higdon makes the roster. I've got a feeling that they've, they've kind of been quite quiet on him on purpose. I've said a lot of reports, just like he's a big physical unit. He can pound it in. Um, he's got good college tape. I think he's going to, you know, I think Buddy Howell just never got a, a, a fair chance, even though he showed, you know, he could he could run the ball. And I, I think either Karan Higdon will, will, um, will pick up the ball or they'll do what they did last year and pick up a couple of running backs late, um, whether yeah. it might be like a, a swap, as they did with Carlos Hyde last year. Um, I think maybe we're not quite set there yet because it's, you know, of the t- it's a clear top two, and I think if you put those both the Johnsons in the backfield at the same time, you know, there's a lot of passing options out there at a twenty personnel set. So I think there's there's definitely, you know, a look and packages that they've got in mind for those two guys. But but Duke Johnson just does not get enough touches, whether that be on the ground or through the air. I think you, you we probably can't give him the ball enough because there was a direct correlation last year of when he had you know double digit touches, we won the ball game. So I think he he's a guy that's as you said he, he did it at college in Miami and there was a lot of highlight plays last year where he had you know 15 20 yard plus runs when when he was able to run you know sort of simple outside zone concepts and actually skill set you know appeals itself to he, he didn't just do it in college though like that's that's the crazy part is when you really dig into Duke Johnson he didn't just do it in he's the all-time leading yeah. <laughs> rusher at Miami. Think about all the studs that have come through Miami, like Edron James and Clinton Portis and Willis McGahee, um, Lamar Miller himself. Okay. Like there have been some just monsters come through Miami and Duke Johnson's the all-time leading rusher at Miami. It's, it's just so crazy that he was able to run between the tackles. And then for whatever reason in the NFL, people just don't believe he can do that. And for the past two seasons, when he has carried the football and he's done it between the tackles, He's rattled off five yards a carry. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, this guy, maybe he can run between the tackles. You look at him and just size-wise and makeup and, you know, muscles and things like that. I think this guy can run between the tackles. Um, Certainly not every down, but it's not the worst thing in the world if Duke Johnson's back there and people think he's going to catch the ball and all of a sudden he's running the ball and boom, there's five, six, seven, eight yards on on a nice little handoff on, you know, maybe first and 10 or something like that. Yeah, so I, I think yeah, I don't think the full, we've seen the full picture quite at uh, tailback yet, but it's uh, certainly it's been reasonably positive, I think, for the Texans thus far um, in the off season and the shortened off season, and I think I, I think certain teams will get to week one and find out you know quite abruptly that they're not ready, and I hope that's not us uh, on on Thursday night football because it's going to be a long way back in terms of people's perceptions and in terms of confidence and momentum. If we do that, but I think some teams are going to get a shock. But also, I think considering the news that's come out this or just been confirmed this week, Cody, that only be 17,000 people out of a, a seventy thousand seat or narrowhead. I think that's possibly an advantage. Just as I also think an advantage of playing the tougher end of your schedule, which the Texans definitely do, 
um, early when a shortened off season, I think lends itself to the Texans' favor rather than if it'd be normal conditions. Not a ton of turnover for this team. Um, not a lot of getting used to guys, uh, bringing back a lot of guys who played key spots. Yeah, I, I would rather face the tough part early when maybe some of those teams are going through you know, some changeover, you know, Minnesota's early in the schedule. They got to, they got to rebuild the sort of their secondary. Uh, Pittsburgh's got to get reacclimated to big Ben. Um, but Hey, I, I'm not worried about any fans in the stands in Kansas city. I'm worried about 15 standing back there under center and slinging the pill around to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill uh, fans, no fans, hundred thousand, one fan. I don't care. I'm worried about, uh, Mahomes week one. And I think everybody in the NFL is worried when they see uh KC pop up on the schedule. Yeah. And I always think when you, when you see the rise of Mahomes and, and the difference in situation that he found himself in, in the league, this, you know, and early in his career, he got a year behind, um, Alex Smith, who's just, just seen what I get, what a guy he is and what a character he is coming back from those various injuries that he, that he actually got against the Texans. When I think it was what, and somebody else landed on him and it was a terrible kind of unfortunate, um, you know, multiple leg break and, you know, terrible thing for the guy to come back from, but he's come back from it. So it just shows you the character and the type of guy that Mahomes got to learn from in year one and got a free, you know, a free entry point and tutorial for one year, you know, like Rogers did in Green Bay for all that time. So you think he's had quite a lot of advantages that, that Watson ha- hasn't had the luxury of having because he's been thrown into the fire, you know, halfway through the week one against Jacksonville in 2017. But from all the reports, this year and you think going into year four I think when you sort of take that year one away because it was cut short by injury this is kind of Watson's year three and you kind of think you've seen a lot of what people are going to throw at you by now and you think if he's going to take a biggest a big jump that's going to be noticeable for people that don't watch this team every week you've got to kind of think it's going to come this year oh yeah no doubt no doubt and I I I think that the the thing with with Watson is it was sort of a stall between year two and year three. I think a lot of the stats were similar. Some of the decision-making got a little bit better. Um, certainly positives, but statistically, it was a bit of a stall. And some of that's the overall offense's fault, and some of that's Deshaun's fault. Some of that's Deshaun Watson's fault. I thought there were times where he played better in 2018 than he did in 2019. Now, there are things that he did in 2019 that are better than he did in 2018. Um I think this is the just I think you could see a huge jump here from him. Tim Kelly, you know, with all the time that he's going to spend with him, um, you know, Deshaun had mentioned that that O'Brien couldn't spend as much time as he wanted with the offense because he had all the extra stuff on his plate. Now that they, they've handed that offense over to Tim Kelly, um, pretty excited to see what Deshaun has. And I, I think if you don't see the jump, maybe you've seen the best and that's still pretty good, but I think a jump's happening. And I think we're going to see, you know, top five quarterback type stuff. I think we could see Deshaun being talked about in the same vein as the Lamar Jackson's, the Patrick Mahomes's of that young superstar quarterback. Yeah. So the talent's definitely there. And we touched on upon the previous, so we'll, move on to the defense but I think yeah it just it just feels like when you hear the all the reports coming out that it's that it feels like he's it's kind of coming together I noticed he, his quarterback coach Quincy Avery actually came out and said how much a big influence or he's or a positive influence TJ Yates is having him there as well because I remember in Watson's rookie year he was pictured on a whiteboard before TJ was back in the building um in a coaching capacity he was sitting drawing up plays with them on the whiteboard so they've got a long-term relationship there and I think it's obviously good for what and you know I'm sure Watson had an influence in 
TG Gates coming back in because he's obviously got a you know good relationship there, and I, I, you've got to hope that it's all going to come together in a way that we know it can come together. So performances like Week One against New Orleans, or you know the, the game at Kansas City, or the, the game against Atlanta, or whatever it might be, becomes you know more commonplace on the stat sheet and on you know and in the win column. Because ultimately, when that guy plays his best, you know, there's only going to be one winner on the field nine times out of ten. So, yeah, we're all hoping, I think, because it's, it's what this team needs. And I think this team potentially needs that because of some of the frailties and some of the erosion of talent on defence, I think. And, you know, looking at looking at where this this defensive unit is, Cody, what's, what's your concerns for this unit this year in terms of defence? Because we saw last year, you know... A, a tale of sort of two halves. First six weeks of the season could rush the passer. Last six weeks of the season couldn't rush the passer. So, you know, what what do you think is going to be the the concerns for this unit, and particularly with Weaver as a first year play caller? I'm I'm worried about effective depth, and what I mean by effective depth is I think built overall with Anthony Weaver at the helm, you can get a good enough defensive performance overall week in, week out, especially if this offense is as good as we hope and think this offense can be. So what I mean by effective depth is if J.J. Watt goes down, I don't know that there's a guy that can be effective in his place. If Whitney Merciless goes down, I'm unsure of the effective depth behind him. And most importantly, if Bradley Roby goes down, I have no idea who's going to fill in for him because there's a lot of question marks at the cornerback spot. So I'm worried about effective depth. A guy misses two, three weeks because of COVID-19 or something like that. I, I don't know that they're deep enough um, and talented enough in the depth that they have to to work through that. Now, overall put together as a whole, the defense, I think you can mix and match parts um, until you find something that works. I mean, what's the cornerback rotation look like? Bradley Roby, is he going to play inside? Is he going to play outside? Is he going to play inside and outside? When he's inside, who's the other outside guy? Um, is it Conley? And um, is it Conley and Lonnie Johnson? Is it Conley and Vernon Hargraves? Is it Lonnie Johnson and Vernon Hargraves? Like, there's a lot of mixing and matching that I think they have to figure out. And unfortunately for the Texans, they don't get, um, even you know practices against another team or preseason games to sort of mix and match and play with these combinations. They have to do it in practice, but they get to do it in practice against an elite offense. So if they can figure out what combinations are working and guys stay healthy, I think Weaver's got enough to you know make this a, a, a middling defense. I think they've got enough to be a middling defense. Um, but I think you know one or two injuries. They, they could fall off to to a, a, a bottom 10 defense, maybe a bottom eight, bottom six defense if if the injury bug strikes them. Yeah, and I think that's the worry, I think, because even if we are, you know, and the likelihood of this is limited, but even if all these guys stay healthy, and as you said, Watt, Marcellus, Roby, you're sort of three kind of cornerstone guys, if you like, two pass rushers, you know, on the, probably the wrong, you know, or on the, on the back end of their career. Um, and have both missed games in the last three seasons. Roby missed a number of time last year with that hamstring injury he picked up in week six against the Chiefs when actually he was playing some really good ball at that point. I think considering those guys, we can't afford to lose them. And even if they were all healthy, I, I still don't think this defense wins you games if it's all healthy. And I think that that's the concern. I don't think we could probably ever rely on this unit um, to 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 dig to dig deep enough in a, in a meaningful way that could probably turn games or even swing momentum in games 
regular enough for it to be a, a, a plus, you know, in the in the team's column. So I think we were just we've just got to understand that that ultimately it's going to be relying on the offense. But you think of of this season alone, you know, any season it wouldn't be a good idea. But this season alone, you think John Reed's probably going to come in and play some snaps at nickel. Now the, the coaching staff have talked highly about him. Weaver described him as a five-year vet, you know, mentally from what they've seen from him, and, he, and, he, and he's shown that with his with his three cone time at the combine, he's, he he can zip across the field, so he's he's got potential. But it's the same with the defensive, you know, up the defensive tackle in the front seven. You know, we're going to probably rely on Blackston, and just we talked about the Duke Edgefor injury, we're probably going to rely on Jonathan Greenard as well. So the fact that you can see very easily three of your five rookies are probably going to have to contribute in a meaningful way. The season, I think that's what probably gives me concern. Like you said about the- you, you've got to have a lot of people grow up fast. I mean, Justin Reed has to grow up to a leader in the secondary. Um, he's sort of been that, but certainly he's played with veteran guys primarily um, in his career. Now he's the veteran guy at the safety spot because Eric Murray, of course, previously played slot corner and corner. Um, you know, so Justin Reed's got to be a leader. Bradley Roby, who's been the other guy for a good portion of his career, has got to be a leader at corner. You got to grow up fast at the linebacker spot. Look, you bring back almost every bit of that linebacking core. You just need Dylan Cole to stay healthy for those moments when he has to cover people, when he's in for Bernard McKinney. Um, you've certainly got some some useful depth behind them um, that guys that aren't probably going to see the field, but that can play special teams like Peter Columbaye, um is a guy that is a, is, a, is a special team sort of ace for this team at different times. And on the defensive line, look, Angelo Blackson, you're going to have to play and you're going to have to play a ton. And they gave you a contract two years ago that people didn't understand. I know they just, you know, adjusted it a little bit, but look, they saw something at Angelo Blackson. He's got to step up. Brandon Dunn got a contract in the off season. You got to step up. And then speaking of growing up in a hurry, Charles Ominahu, a flash here and a flash there from the former Texas product. If Ominahu can be a contributor on a consistent basis with Jacob Martin on a consistent basis, then you've got pass rushers that maybe can be trusted beyond Whitney Merciless and J.J. Watt. And it's worth noting, if Watt's not on the field, you can't even trust Whitney Merciless because he had that huge lull when J.J. got hurt last year. So um, you got to find guys that you can trust on a play-to-play, game-to-game, week-to-week basis. And I think that's just a lot of learning. And look, you're going to have to take a lot of uh, a lot of stock in Anthony Weaver's ability to assess this talent and see what he can come up with. Yeah, and I think you touched on two guys there who I think are potential sort of inflection points, if you like, in terms of how we'll view this unit, you know, after a 16-game regular season. Charles Amena, who's a guy actually who I, I actually bumped into him in the Galleria last year, and I stood next to him, got, got a picture with him, and he's a big human being. And, he you know, and he's, he's long, and you saw that, you know, where he had that big play, um, in, in the Kansas City game where he, he strip sacked Mahomes and that turned the game in our favour and he had it you know he had a, quite a lot of flashes um, and there's been reports of, from camp this year of him flashing he's got the length and he, you know and I remember when he was drafted and he, he put out a video and he he couldn't believe that he got put or he dropped to the to the fifth round and that was one thing he said this season and the his, his uh, recommendations to any rookies coming out was don't have a draft party because I thought I was going, everybody told me I was going the second, third round, drop to the fifth. So I think he, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. And I think, you know, it, it was always going to be consistency with uh, Charles Amenehu or Chuck as his teammates. And 
I think he needs to find a way to be consistent in the trenches. And if he can use that length consistently, I think we probably have got, you know, a good bit of value in the fifth round because he's certainly got all the all the traits um, to, to be a consistent guy. And he, now, I think the question is, do they play him in, in, inside um, as part of an even front or do you play him on the outside? Because I think sometimes that length um, benefits itself on the outside, but it's, it's an interesting one. But I think he's definitely a big point. And then I think the, the guy you touched on who was in front of the media yesterday, Eric Murray. Um, he's come in as basically the second safety, a surprising contract. And you just kind of hope that's not another sort of Raheem Moore kind of deal that, that the Texans have done. <laughs> oh, no, don't bring that name up. Oh, no. Because <laughs> he was oh. not good. He came with a big no. attitude from Denver and he did not play up to that deal. The, the thing with Murray that's fascinating is I think it's boom or bust. I think that you will look at Eric Murray's time with the Texans and we will point to the fact that the Texans saw something that nobody else saw or the Texans just vastly miscalculated what Eric Murray can bring to the table. And he he's a big negative for them in the secondary. Like I, I and look, he may be a, a solid player, but they didn't play. They didn't pay him solid player money. They paid him good player money. So he needs to be good in the secondary from the jump. OK, he needs to be good from the secondary. Um, and if that pays off and that's a nice signing for this team who's not had great um, safety luck in, in the past, certainly. Now, Tyron Matthew was a nice player, but he ended up being a little bit better after he left here. Um, look, Murray's Murray's just got to be good. I mean, that, that was one of the big investments on this team. You didn't do a ton uh, to improve or change the offense. You brought some guys back. Certainly Roby got a nice contract, but this was a change. Murray is a change on the defense. He's one of the only changes on the defense and they certainly believe in him and he's got to be good. I didn't understand it to Sean Gibson kind of, I don't know what he did, but to upset somebody, but he, I thought he was pretty solid last year. He didn't have the season he wanted to have on the contract he came in, but I mean, you know, dollars versus dollars, you know, compared to Eric Murray, it didn't seem like, you know, a crazy deal um, when he signed um, and he had a body of work with Jacksonville and Cleveland that probably suggested he, he, he would command a fee like that. Whereas, as you said, Eric Murray's going to come in and he's a complete unknown. He could be an absolute masterstroke or he could be, you know, Raheem Moore. <laughs> and I think I'm, and I, 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 I struggle to see a guy who's not played a huge amount of safety in his career um, to be that good. But I think, you know, talking about depth, I think the biggest glaring spot on this roster, you know, obviously Justin Reed going into year three, obviously he was injured all last year and he kind of battled through, you know, you know, sort of, you know commendably uh, at points. And it was clear that he wasn't, um, he, he wasn't all there. And I, I think physically, because he, he talked about that in the, in the, uh, I think somebody tweeted at him about the, the Tyreek Hill catch over, over the, over his shoulder early in the season. And uh, somebody said, how did you not catch that? And he said, well, try catch it with a shoulder brace on. <laughs> so I think, you know, he was, and he had a torn labrum. He got the, he got surgery in the off season. So he, you know, he played through a lot and he, but he, but he has flashed. But I think when you go back to that 2017 defense, like he talked there um, in 2018 defense, when you talked about Tyron Matthew being there. And then also the biggest one, I think, was the mistake that we let Kareem Jackson go because he still had a great season in Denver and he's still a big physical, you know, thumper in the box. And as well, he can cover a bit. But, you know, I think the Texans, you know, foolishly left him on an island outside in the perimeter at corner and should have moved him to safety a long time ago, you know, and it follows a trend just as they did. Uh, with with the guy, and I forget his name now. Cody will probably remind me of the guy that went to went to Detroit and uh, he played Walter in corner. Quinn. 
Glover Quinn, yeah, one of the probably the biggest mistakes the franchise made. They moved on to uh, to Ed Reed, and that that didn't work out well. So we've not had a great history of safety play. Um, you know, we had a couple of years of Quinton Demps when he came back a couple of times. Had that one season, I think, in twenty sixteen, I think it was when he when he had a lot of interceptions, but a lot to do. I think just right place at the right time. But we've never really had that presence. But the one year where you had Tyron Matthew and Kareem Jackson, I felt like. That covered up a lot at the cornerback spot. Now I think the cornerback spot, pound for pound, is probably you know, albeit Roby and Conley playing well, but I, I, you've got to say, I mean, like at this stage, you know, who's the third? Who's the third safety at this point? Because Jaleel dies away. Is it AJ Moore that comes in? AJ Moore certainly a guy that stood out on special teams for this team. Um, Michael Thomas has primarily been a special teams guy. I think Jalen Watkins is that third safety. That's that sort of that box safety. Uh, actually it's, it's, it's interesting because I believe, um, Jaleel Adai from last year came over from the chargers and played decently for this team. And then, you know, obviously he's not back. And then again, Jalen Watkins comes over from the chargers. And I think maybe the hope, is that he could be that third safety that actually has to get on the field, whereas Michael Thomas is on this team. Um, look, Michael Thomas has been around this league for a few years based on special teams' success alone. Um, just you, not a guy that you regularly want to put on the field. So maybe that's Watkins as that guy. You know, Reed and Murray are the the cover guys. Watkins is the thumper guy. Um, and you just you just hope for good things out of that. Um, I, I, I think that that's kind of – that's kind of it for the safeties. Uh, you know, it's Thomas, it's Murray, it's Reed, it's Watkins. I know Jonathan Owens is on this team, was uh, was with the team a little bit last year, but um, I think that's kind of it. I don't think there's a lot of interchangeability, versatility with some of these corners. Like, I certainly don't think Cornell Armstrong is going to be playing safety much. So I think the safety room is is is, is a little decided maybe. I You know, hopefully not. Hopefully there's enough competition from somebody to, to make it a question, but the safety room feels like it's a, it's, it's pretty decided or pretty well decided. And um, maybe it's AJ Moore instead of Watkins, just because they like him on special teams. But I think Watkins brings a, a tiny bit more experience having played a little bit more um, defense than special teams, you know, whereas Moore is primarily a special teams guy. Yeah. And I think, I think definitely at corner when you look at the, you know, the top, the top sort of three guys are clear, Roby Conley, Lonnie Johnson, and obviously John Reed's the draft pick, and then you've got Hargreaves who's came come back and a reasonable deal. You know, he's a former first round pick. So you think, you know, he's he's obviously, you know, slated, you know, from Anthony Weaver's press conference today, he's obviously that they very much see him as an inside corner. Um he had some okay games last year. I know the, the Thursday night game against the Colts, he came in, I thought he played quite well that night. Um, but he's he, he, he did sometimes found be found wanting in terms of his pass coverage. Um, and then Philip Gaines, I thought he played quite well as well. And it just was that sort of three or four game spell where we just consistently got guys injured last year. And that's what ended up the, leaving them in a position to trade for Gary and Connolly. So, I, you know, you think, and, you know, Brian's gone out his way to mention Philip Gaines a few times, but albeit he's injured right now. So, you know, he's potentially behind the eight ball. And obviously Keon Cross, and they traded for him. And he's kind of a, a special teamer, kind of nickel kind of guy that plays is probably more comfortable in the zone than he is in man so yeah i don't i'm not yeah i mean looking at depth again at corner at cornerback it doesn't seem overwhelming certainly i um i i do have one issue with the texans and how they go about things is how many special teams aces does this team need because when you look at this roster peter columbi is primarily on this team because he plays special teams 
Michael Thomas is on this team because he primarily plays special teams. Keon Crossan's on this team because he primarily plays special teams. One of the big reasons Cullen Gillespie is on this team is because he had special team success. Buddy Howell, again, is a special teams uh, success player. And then the punt returner slash kick returner previously, DeAndre Carter, has been primarily on the team. for special. How many special teams players does this team need? My goodness, how about we get some guys that can help on the defense, um, you know, on that side of the ball, and maybe we worry about, you know, the special teamers that they do have taking care of business. A.J. Moore is another guy. He's on the team because of special teams. I'm tired of hearing about how good these guys are on special teams. Just get some guys that can kick some butt when uh, the headset's on Weaver uh, and and not on uh, uh, the special teams uh, side of the ball. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it's – I think, you know, in their defense and obviously – um, you know, with Tracy Smith coming, and we'll see if the if the improvement of the special teams has been good because it's not been so long since you know Larry Izzo, Bob Lashevsky's had some horror shows out there. So I think you know they have they have invested in that like it's been a unit and it's been okay. But it's I think with a lot of the 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 wedge blocking rules and all the kind of changes to special teams, I don't think it's necessarily can win you as many games as it used to before the before the rule changes came in, but. It has been a better better product for us and not lost as games um, in many senses. But um, yeah, and I think it's because it's obviously you've got Barkevius Mingo who went out. You had Taiwan Jones that went out. Um, they were 100% special teamers in many cases, um, apart from, you know, obviously the, the big play in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Buffalo game that Taiwan Jones came in. Um, and, and won that in overtime, but they, they didn't have much much to do on either side of the ball. Those two, so I think those guys need to be replaced. But yeah, looking at the secondary is not great. I think I think you know it, it's probably passable in terms of that, and in terms of those guys we've talked about. And inside linebackers, he says kind of set B, Max, Zach, Dylan, Terrell Adams, probably going to keep four. Callum by potentially counts as inside, and you keep the five um, on specialties. But I think it's up front in the trenches. I think that's the biggest issue. I think DJ Reader. Is one of these guys that you possibly don't understand how good he was until he goes. Now look, I know he didn't rush the passer as well as he did in the first sort of five six weeks, and then kind of faded it as the year went on. But I think that was more to do with what being out. But up front in the trenches, can this team hold up against the run and not put too much pressure on those guys on the back end? Is I think the big question. I I got I got I got a sneaky factoid for you about this Texans defense and about DJ reader was, you know, a lot of times we, we heard how DJ reader was one of the, the big pieces to this team, you know, defending the run. Well, I, I don't think they actually defended the run very well last year. And I know reader was a big part of any success that they did have, uh, you know, I think filling in for DJ reader is going to be sort of a by committee type situation. I think just to think that it's going to be Ross Blacklock as a one-to-one would be, would be a, a foolish endeavor um, and certainly a foolish thought. I think it's primarily done in Blackson initially in that spot. Um, and you got to think too, it, it's, it's not like reader was out there as the only defensive tackle a ton. The Texans primarily, okay. Primarily played in nickel. And they primarily had four four defensive linemen on the field, so um, it's not like you have to have that big guy in the middle like they are in that that base defense so often that you have to have just that one guy. Like it's a combo effect of those inside guys, but it would be really nice for this team, really nice if Ross Blacklock could be a contributor, um, or if on the off chance, Carlos Watkins ended up being a nice player. He's been around this team for gosh, 17, 18, 19. This will be his fourth season. Carlos Watkins. 
another late round defensive lineman. <clears throat> so I think it's, you know, I don't think DJ reader is as big a loss as we believe him to be. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I think in terms of if you, if we are playing an even front and which I think, yeah, is probably going to be 60% plus of the time, then you're right. I don't think, I don't think even in a bit, even if we were to play a three man front and a base package, I don't think Blacklock would be, I've kind of got a feeling that they view him as a defensive end more than they do a true nose guard. I just don't think he's, he looks like he's got, you know, the size, but I, I think for, for his level of mobility and how he can chase the chase the ball down on the backside or how he can, you know, or how he could potentially, um, you know, get some rush, you know, against a guard or a centre. I don't think he'll necessarily play on there on his own with two defensive ends either side of him. Uh, but I think some of the reports from camp, certainly there was, a, I heard a discussion yesterday about how they tried to run a quick smoke screen in one of the situational drills. And all of a sudden, you know, they couldn't believe that Blacklock had made it all the way to the sideline and grabbed Kiki QT by the jersey. So he's got some he's got some mobility. And I think potentially he might be lost in the if you put him right in the inside. And I think if he can squeeze a bit more out on the edge, then he's potentially got some a chance to take advantage of some matchups between between um between the A and the B gaps. But it's interesting for Blacklock. I, I, I don't know where he'll come. I think Watkins he had good production at Clemson. He's in a long line, but he just has never have seemed to kind of get that consistency again. And I don't know if that's maturity or that's just generally down to talent, but Watkins kind of feels like a guy contract year for him. Um, he's got nowhere to go after this, but he's probably not got enough tape to, to catch on an, onto another, onto another team with a decent contract. So I think he's there. And then you've got like, they brought like a guy like Albert Huggins that came back after Eddie Vanderos opted out. Um, you know, besides them, and then you've got, you know, the the one that referred to as Big Z, uh, a full eye, I think you pronounce it, from West Georgia. He looks like an interesting prospect in terms of height, weight, speed. P, uh, PJ Hall as well. PJ Hall. Oh, yeah, of uh, course. It, Who didn't in, practice in today, big... by the way. Right. Um, yeah. Hall's got a sort of a, maybe that's an uphill climb for him, but that's a guy that I'm assuming they're pretty familiar with having been uh, a college guy not that far up the road from Houston at Sam Houston State University. Um, probably a guy that worked out in their regional um, combine uh, a couple of years ago before he got drafted, had a little bit of success with the Raiders. Um, and with with Hall, if he can get in shape, get on the field and prove himself in a, in a timely manner, that's a guy that you can rely on as sort of that that DJ reader role a little bit. And look, it's going to be a group effort. It's not going to be just one guy filling in for reader and, and unless one guy goes out there and separates himself. Um, but I don't, I don't see that guy. A um, lot of competition on that defensive line, a lot of competition. And I do like that. I do appreciate that. And especially with the fact that Watts ramping up. So there's a little bit more reps to go around. I do like the, the, the multipleness to this competition here. Does, um, I just had to look the guy's name up there, but I couldn't remember. Do you remember Jeffrey Pagan that came at Alabama? And he yes. Just, and, and he just never, ever looked like the player that his college tape looked. And that's just what Carlos Watkins reminds me of. There's there's clearly something that they like about this guy because he's been around the team for, for coming up on his fourth year when, when there's seemingly been better options here or there. But 
there's there's clearly somebody some somebody in the building likes him something and something's clicked for him. You know, and every time I think of Carlos Watkins, I I, I remember there's a couple of games where the camera pans to the sidelines and he's sitting there in street clothes because he wasn't even you know on the game on the game day roster, not even not even got a jersey, and. Uh, you think, you know, it just feels like a missed opportunity there. And you wonder, do you think, did he move on from him and give somebody like, you know, Big Z or Huggins, who, you know, got some game time in Philadelphia last year, or a PJ Hall, who, you know, has got a bigger body of work and maybe somebody you can actually rely on because Carlos seems like a lost talent. I mean, obviously, Charles Amene, who bought, you know, Blacklock, made the roster, Blackston, DJ, DJ Dunny is going to be in the nose tackle. And I think he's going to play a big role, I think. And I, I think you're right what you said earlier, Cody, actually, about the last year's run defense was was not great at times and actually it put more pressure on the pressure on the secondary than probably ne- needed to be if we could just you know be a bit more consistent a bit more disciplined in their run fits so that that's you know that's just it's fundamentals of defense but yeah i think that's got to possibly be a concern but as you said there's definitely some definitely some some guys there who'll get snaps with what being wrapped up but the depth there and then the quality consistency consistently over a 16 week season i think it's going to be you know a point that could catch this team out you know and keep teams on the field and extend drives and tire the tire the defense out and you know and then that only leads to mistakes and points being given up yeah i know that about that i mean you just gotta have that you can't I, I i just don't think this is the type of defense that's going to survive on one unit being good and the other units not being good like i think everything needs to be average to above average and it's going to be a very much a team success and i you know i i gotta go through and i've been sort of researching and thinking about rex ryan defenses over the years and a lot of times they had uh, a super stud up front and a stud safety and then a bunch of guys that just played their role and i i kind of hope that for the texans watts the stud up front reads a stud at safety and everyone else just kind of plays their role and I think they can be successful that way. But I think this thing could go sideways in a hurry with just the lack of overall talent on the defense. Yeah, and I think that you, you saw that, I think, against Jacksonville in the London game last year, where, you know, I remember writing an article before it and saying, like, this team will have to change the way it plays with what going out. It just has to play sound, fundamental, disciplined football. And Hopefully, and I, I, and I don't know if, if I don't know Anthony Weaver well enough, or you know, or even Rex Ryan's kind of history, and if, if he is taking that Rex Ryan influence. But if they don't find a way to play smart, consistent football, yeah, I think that the lack of talent could be exposed in a hurry. And you think when you've got week one Mahomes, you've got week two Lamar Jackson, and then you've all, you know, then you've also got, then you then you've got trip to Pittsburgh. Don't know where Big Ben is going to be, but by week three, you think you might be finding finding his feet again. So there's not going to be any hiding places early for a unit if they don't know what their identity is going to be quite quickly, and they're all very clear on what their individual role in this defense needs to be week in week out. Yeah, it's just it's just a such a tough spot for a team that's got some big question marks on defense, and you look at the the first four weeks like you just laid out, and oh oh by the way. By the way, week five, Gardner Minshew coming to town. Gardner Minshew looked pretty good last year against the Texans defense when he didn't know when he was just getting his feet wet in the NFL. Now with a whole year and the offense built around him, who knows what Gardner Minshew could be week five. And then, oh, after that, a trip to Tennessee to take on um, 
Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, AJ Brown, and that crew. Like, look, the first four weeks are tough. It's not like five and six or some sort of cakewalk either. So those first six weeks, maybe even the first seven when you factor in the Packers coming to town, we may not know what this defense can truly do and how well they come together until weeks five, six, seven. The bye week is week eight. It may be a while before we have a good read on this defense. The The hope is that they're not so far behind from a win-loss standpoint um, that, that they can sort of, you know, the offense can bide the time until the defense, uh, uh, you know, finds its footing. Yeah, I've always kind of held the opinion that if we can go into the bye week with three wins, I think it's probably quite a good position to take. I'd probably take that right now, uh, considering the, the schedule sort of softens up on the back end and you've got more winnable games in theory on paper right now. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You got Look, if you could go two and two the first four weeks, um, that would set up well to have a nice uh, bit of momentum headed into the bye week. And then, um, you know, two Indianapolis games in December, that's going to be tough. Tennessee to finish the year with potentially the division or a playoff spot on the on the line, that's going to be tough. But, you know, Cincinnati, we'll know what Chicago is. We'll know what Detroit is. We'll know what Cleveland is. Those are all post-bye week games. Um, hopefully, we know what the Texans' defense is, too, and hopefully it's it's better than the expectation of some. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll probably know where this team is. But, you know, they obviously don't know. It was the Belichick famous saying, you always know what your team is by Thanksgiving. And you've got a short a short window to turn that game around and, and and get up to Detroit for that. So I think by that that point we'll have a really kind of clear indication of what this team's made of. You know, health all all things being equal, particularly health this year. So yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting. I think yeah, we're right. I think this, the defense is the point of concern of the two units um, for us, and and there's still some 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 moves to be made. I think in terms of maybe fortifying some some parts of the roster. Um, Cody the Team made a, a number of moves, as you said. Blackston deal was reworked. Kelamenti's deal was reworked, which I thought was interesting. It was actual reasonable money for Kelamenti considering his tape. Zach Fulton's been uh, redone, so the, the team have made it just over eight million in cap space this off season. Watson's deal seems to be rumored every couple of weeks is about to be imminent, and you know, and then it, it doesn't quite materialize. You think they've got to be close by now? I would hope so. I would hope so, and and. and just the the getting that level of certainty um because they're for for whatever reason and I don't think this is Houston driven I think this is this is primarily driven by people outside of Houston but there's a thought that Deshaun Watson may want out or wants to go somewhere else or because he's not going to sign a 10-year deal like Patrick Mahomes he's not as committed to Houston as Mahomes is to K- stop Stop. That none of that's coming from Houston. None of that's coming from Watson. That's all just speculation. That's people picking at the Texans because uh, you know, for whatever reason they may have for pick at the Texans. Um, that that is that is not something that I think is true. I think Deshaun Watson um wants to be uh you know, you, you, you tell me I'm the franchise QB, show me now. And I think that's just financially what what the expectation because He's had to deal with a lot of unique situations going forward. I mean, you know, the quarterback says that the, I, I didn't get the time with the head coach that I wanted, who runs the offense, because he was off doing GM stuff. Okay, well, that's a that that that's something that he had to deal with, and that slowed his growth, that slowed his potential, and you, you know, you compensate the guy, and that that just that's just the the nature of the position. The quarterbacks get paid lots of money. Um, Deshaun Watson's worth lots of money, and I I would assume that. 
in the 2020 calendar year it gets done. I don't think it's out of the question that this takes into the season. Obviously, I think they would like to not have this go into the season. But in 2020, Deshaun Watson's getting that new contract. I certainly feel that way. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You, you want, I mean, I think sometimes people perceive these negotiations to be more complex than they actually are because Laramie Tunsil talked about that. He said, I just had to learn the terminology and I was able to do it myself. I didn't need an agent. So you wonder, is it the team holding out because they're unsure of the salary cap and they're just kind of holding their position? Or is it more coming from David's agent and athletes first that they are got a position and it's been rumoured he wants a three-year deal or a three-year extension to his current year he's got after this on the fifth-year option. He wants so he can hit, he wants that so he can hit free age or 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 test the team out to give him a, you know, a more than, or an improvement on current market rates um and by the time he hits 29 so because if you look at the Mahomes deal I mean you know I know Lee Steinberg's a well-trodden agent in the league and he's been around for a long time but you don't get probably much more team-friendly deals than that I think in terms of the you know the first three-year cash flow and it looks like Watson wants the inverse of that so I, I think it, I don't I don't think there's a commitment issue there I think he wants to be in Houston I think you're right I don't think that comes from anybody you know in the state, it's more likely from New York or California, most likely, but to drive some off-season narrative. But it seems like there's something holding it up. But you've got to think, you know, one of the sides will make a concession to get it done before the season because I'm assuming they're going to have a position where they don't want to be have this lingering on, you know, into the regular yeah. season. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think, you know, look, there's a lot of moving parts that aren't Deshaun Watson-centric that you need to kind of be – very aware of, be careful of. I mean, you can't have a whole bunch of money accelerating to Deshaun Watson's, you know, uh, let's see, it would be the third or the second year of his extension. You can't have a bunch of money accelerate to the second year of his extension because maybe that's time when Laramie Tunsil's got to get redone. You know, there's there's lots of different moving parts. You know, it's yes, this is just about Deshaun Watson, but, you know, J.J. Watt's final few years of his career, what's his m- money going to look like? Um Laramie Tunsil's money after these current years that he has. Uh, Justin Reed's going to be up for a new contract. The wide receivers, they have one wide receiver under contract for next year. You know, if, if you know, Will Fuller's playing on the fifth-year option. Um, if he has a great year, what's he going to command? Um, Brandon Cooks, I mean, they move some of his money around, but his guaranteed money goes away. Things like that. Like, it's it, yes, it's just Watson, but it's also setting the tone for the rest of the organization once Watson is done. Um, and, and setting out the course for which they're gonna they're gonna go, uh, and it's it's tough stuff. I don't I don't envy the I don't envy the crew uh, over at NRG trying to do it. But hey, we know it's doable. The Chiefs had um, what four pennies to their name when this offseason started, and <laughs> yeah. everybody got paid in Kansas City. So we know it's doable. It's it's sometimes it's just funny money in the NFL. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just it's just effectively a structure that you need to flex cash flow around at any one point and be able to. To manipulate that, I think I think the, the probably the interesting thing is obviously Chris Olsen left the building um, for whatever reason it was deemed to be not followed in the strategy. I don't know if it was the Whitney Merciless contract that, that impacted that, or it was other moves that made it. Brian Anger's deal, I don't know, or Nick Martin's eleven million a year. I'm not sure, um, but those those three deals in the, on their own seem quite heavy. And then when you've got to pay a quarterback, probably you know it's got a four in it every year. You know, you've seen that with Seattle and how the quality of their overall roster, 
you know, starts to wane once you pay a quarterback. Um, from you know, probably partly because they're not very good at drafting the first round, hence why they shipped off a lot of picks to pick Jamal Adams. But you know, I think we, you know we've not you know we've not necessarily been able you know, and we're still another year away from having a first round pick again to sort of you know bring in a potential a potential superstar, which is probably the only way you're going to do that. Really, is in the first round um unless you get really lucky so you think when you've got the, i can understand why they're treading carefully but you just don't want it to come in an impact this season because as you said there's a lot of moves to be made and you know there's still very much talk that they want to sign up zach cunningham as well which i think is an interesting move and probably a point of potential change because i know they've brought in guys for workouts and they've been looking at a lot inside linebackers brian um brandon marshall who was at the um who was in the, to Denver later in his career. And so they'd be kicking the tires on a few inside backers as well. And you wonder, you know, if Zach, uh, if Zach Cunningham was going to sign an extension, where does that leave the long-term future with Bernardrick McKinney? Because I think the game's changed and trending towards guys like Zach rather than his BMAC. Sure, sure, yeah. D definitely some adjustments, definitely some guys that are here now that aren't going to be here in a couple of years because you had to pay Deshaun Watson, things like that. So. Um, you know, hey, not 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 easy decisions to make, but um, that's the situation you're in when uh, it comes time to to pay the QB. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this season. You know, although every team's written us off, bookmakers have written us off. You know, I think we're twenty eight to one in and in, in the odds. You know, we're behind the Chicago Bears. I saw in one of the bookmakers in the UK. So I think it's you know, I don't I don't think anybody's expecting a huge amount for this team. But when you look in the in the in the wider landscape of that, you think this is going to be a good chance for us to, you know, have what's in a rookie deal and for things to come together. Um, but it kind of feels like, particularly on the defense, we might be short. But, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns for this season uh, to come. Uh, we're still a, a good few weeks away yet and, you know, the roster's still shaping up. But um, but uh, thanks very much, Cody, for your time coming to talk, talk to us and talk some Texas defense and a bit of training camp talk as this uh, off-season seems particularly long this year in the absence of preseason games. Absolutely, man. Anytime. And hey, every day is another day in pads and it's another day closer to Thursday night football. And it's another day to 2020 getting going. And uh, it's going to be one of the more unique and hopefully one of the more fun seasons um, that we've ever seen as uh, as football fans. Yeah, that's right. And we're some two and a half, three weeks away now from Thursday night football opening. But thanks again for listening, everyone. That was at Cody Stutes on Twitter. You can follow him. Um, covering the Texas for a long time putting some good quality content so do give them a follow if you don't you can follow us at podcasttexans.com and at podcasttexans on Twitter thanks very much again for listening and we'll see you again next week